the good management skills are still good management skills. You just have to make time to do them. You know, you have to schedule 30 minute check-in meetings every other week is just fine. And then not cancel them, not cancel them no matter what. Schedule them first thing in the morning so they don't get canceled. (laughs) Yeah. Do not make that an optional meeting or it will do the opposite of what you want it to do, right? (laughs) It will. It will. It will. Yep. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for the day, the show today. We have with us today Janet Pollock, PhD. She has recently written a book. Uh, the book is called The Seven Mistakes New Managers Make, How to Avoid Them and thrive. Janet started her career in the Marine Corps. She is a legit leadership expert, making sure that people understand good leadership practices, whether they are uh, running a Marine organization or making sure that uh, that manufacturing is running correctly. So uh, really excited for the conversation. And thank you, Janet, for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Kyle. I'm delighted to be here. We're really excited for it. Um, you know, there's so many times where I just wish I would have hit record the minute that we started talking uh, before uh, I hit record for the podcast because the conversation's already just been wonderful um, here. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to digging into this. The first question uh, that I want to ask uh, is what prompted you to write a book about leadership? Thank you for the question. So this was my COVID time. Uh, as a consultant, as a coach, and as an executive coach, you know, things slowed down. There was a lot of nervousness in that first year. I had always had it on my to-do list, and it just made sense. Mm-hmm. So I was able to take a lot of the content I already had from blogs, from emails, from leadership development sessions I'd had, and took the time to um, think about if you're a brand new leader, if you're a frontline leader, what do you really know, need to know how to do and how to do well? Because Kyle, what we were saying before we got started is the transition from individual cont- contributor to manager is tricky. We often promote our best people. They get things done. They're always ahead of the curve. And then we say, ta-da, now you're a manager. If we drew a Venn diagram, the overlap skills between individual contributor and manager are very limited, Mm. yet we do it over and over and over again. And um, I wanted to provide something that was simple and straightforward to both HR professionals, uh, the leaders who lead brand new managers, and more importantly, the brand new managers. Absolutely. And, you know, I think Every HR professional, when you made the comment about individual contributor transitioning to a manager, is probably nodding their head because we've had that scenario of the of the top performing individual contributor, the all star, yeah. that goes into a leadership role and just completely flames out yeah. <laughs> spectacularly, yeah. uh, sometimes with fireworks. So, one of the things I love about this book is it's it breaks it down into really simple to understand. Um, ideas, but it also kind of turns conventional wisdom on its head a little bit. 
And so, you know, as, as we think about that transition into frontline leader, I want to talk about some of the mistakes and uh, we won't get through all of them. So you'll have to buy the book if you want to, you know, get, get, get all the, the good details here. But one of them that really spoke to me is something that I know I'm guilty of and every organization I've been a part of has been guilty of mistake number one, which is doing instead of leading. So as you are looking at kind of that required success factors for a, for a new leader, what guidance would you give for a leader who is trying to make that transition from doer to leader? I think, first of all, they've got to figure out who they have on their team. What are their team members' strengths and assets? Uh, what might be untapped? So again, you know, our natural tendency is to go to our superstars over and over again, and then the superstars get overloaded. So figuring out who you've got on your team, figuring out what do they aspire to and what do they want to learn how to do, and then tap into that. So providing guidance on how you get tasks done, but not doing the tasks. So I think that transition from uh, individual contributor to leader and not letting go is all about letting go. It's about letting that person um, trial and error, how to do a task, giving them some feedback along the way and knowing that it will probably be done differently than how you did it. And that's okay. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm kind of chuckling here because it's, you know, I, I can't remember the source, but it's, it, it, I saw this years ago and it's so true. It's like, you know, when we talk about like incentives for doing good work and, and so often we have these all-stars, a lot of times the reward for doing good work is more work, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> like like yeah. you just give it to, and yeah. And, and, and that can be, that can be challenging, especially if you're the person who was doing all the good work. Um, so, so how do you respond to the leader who says, yeah, but, but I do it better and I also do it more efficiently. So if I give it to somebody else, I'm, I'm slowing down, uh, you know, our process and, and, and it just doesn't make sense to do that right now. What's your reaction to that kind of pushback? Uh, my reaction always is it may slow you down in the short term, but it doesn't get you anywhere in the long term. So if you hold on to all of those tasks, even as a manager, your team isn't developing. They're not learning anything. And in this day and age where our employee expectations are higher than they've ever been, they're saying, well, why do I bother? The boss is going to do it all and I can learn more and get more challenged someplace else. So I think it's not only an engagement thing, but I think it's a retention strategy. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. I think it's, it's, it's really something that once you've experienced that, it's pretty eye-opening, right? I mean, I, because I, 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 I fell prey to this early in my career where, um, you know, I had the opportunity to had the opportunity to be a leader when I was very young. And my assumption was, okay, I'm a leader now. I have to, now I have to tell people how to do things. Mm-hmm. That's what leaders mm-hmm. do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, what I quickly found out was people were doing things differently than I would do them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, honestly, there's some struggle there. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that, um, I think that there can be, uh, it, th- there can be a little bit of, of, 
eye opening there that, that, that needs to occur. What successful programs have you seen your clients or other employers do that help with that transition that help people, you know, kind of keep them from making that misstep uh, and set them up for success earlier. So they don't have to learn like I did the hard way. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, you can prepare your future leaders. Most of us now are doing succession planning and we're going pretty deep into the organization. So figuring out who are the people you're most likely going to promote and then get them together and start doing leadership development even before uh, you make those promotion decisions. I think once you make those promotion decisions, um, get this, corporate executive board says have found 60% of new managers fail within their first 24 months. Mm. So tapping into them in those first two or three months, most of us prom- make our promotions in the first quarter of the new year. We kind of follow our calendar year and fiscal year. And so checking in with them during those first few weeks, how's it going? What are you doing differently as a manager that you are not doing now as an individual contributor. I think getting some of those new managers together in a room and talking about what is the challenge, how's it going and what's working. Uh, So there's not a huge spend there necessarily. I think it's HR people thinking, um, you know, I have a vested interest in making these brand new managers successful and I'm gonna take time to do it. So it's really, what's really funny. So first of all, yeah, I mean, that that statistic is fairly staggering. Um, I don't know that I'd heard that before, but I mean, my gosh, talk about like putting a risk on, you know, putting a new leader in role. Um, that's kind of scary. But then the other thing that I, that I keep thinking is it's, you know, this mistake, number one, it's kind of the same mistake that HR makes all the time, which is HR is the one that wants to do the leadership development and the learning and development and HR wants to do the retention strategies um, as opposed to lead Mm. their leaders Mm -hmm. to do those things. Right. And so I, you know, as I I think about that and, you know, a little bit of a challenge to the HR people, like, and I've said this, you know, many, many times, you know, leadership development, career development, retention, this, this isn't just an HR thing. Right. Oh, like, like, like HR needs to build the structure. HR needs to set expectations. HR needs to educate people how to do this. And then you need to let your leaders do it. <laughs> but it's going back to my initial point, but we think we're better at doing it. <laughs> so, so, we, so we've got it. We, you know, you know, this is a mistake that I see a lot of HR professionals making. Like, you know, you've got to get out of the way a little bit too. Um, and, and accept that sometimes this work um, needs to be done and it, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be done the way you would do it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think as an HR professional, you, you can um, contribute the content, the how-tos. You know, we know how to be a good leader and those skills can be taught. So finding some good content, whether it's from my book or someplace else, Um, I think it's facilitating the conversation. It's pulling those brand new frontline leaders who have their hair on fire off the front line for a few hours every week or a couple of hours every other week to talk about how is it going with each other and what are they learning and what is is difficult. 
Uh, I think that group experience and learning from each other, uh, HR can have a role of facilitating it, but again, they can't do it. They have to bring everybody together so that they learn from each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so you made a comment there and I, I'm curious to get your perspective on it because um, I think there's, there's, I think there's some different opinions out there on this. And and you mentioned that, you know, leadership can be taught mm-hmm. and I agree, you know, full disclaimer, but um, I think a lot of times we do still fall into that bias that somebody is a quote, natural leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, what, you know, what is your reaction to that, that, you know, kind of that, that assessment that somebody is a natural leader. Um, and if somebody's not considered that, can they get there? Uh, what's, what's your reaction to that? Well, my reaction is that in the United States military, we go under the assumption that anybody can learn how to lead. Um, we spend a lot of time on it. We invest in our brand new uh, Marines, in my case, in our corporals, in our sergeants, in our staff sergeants, in our lieutenants, in our captains throughout their careers to help them learn how to be better leaders. We have case studies. We have how to's because in the United States military, you know, it truly is a life and death kind of situation. Your boss may be cut down at a time when it's most critical. And so what we learn as Marine officers, as staff non-commissioned officers, is if that were to happen, I need to step up and take over. So leadership is critically important, but it's critically important, Kyle, to the business that you run. It's critically important to international businesses that regardless of the country that you operate in, the rules are a little bit different. And so leaders need to figure out what matters here and how do I adapt and make things uh, successful. So it's that ongoing sense that, yeah, I'm going to have trial and error as I learn along the way, but I don't think most leaders are are born. I think most really good leaders um, evolve and develop over time. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's such an interesting paradox to me because I think a lot of times the natural quote natural leaders and those natural skill sets sometimes they're not the best individual contributors right mm-hmm. and it's it is such a um it's it's such an interesting challenge for an organization to to truly spot the the right leaders um you know so so as as we're thinking about that and and as you reflect on you know some of those successful leadership traits um what what steps can we take as we think about like a talent assessment uh for what makes good uh leaders and and how do we spot that when you know maybe we don't want to promote the all-star maybe we want to promote the the solid b individual contributor that everybody will love working for Exactly. I think it's a couple of things. I think it's do they have, have they already demonstrated an interest to work through others? Or are they the superstar that always has to be at the top of the hill taking all the glory? So a willingness to work through others. I think you hit on it, Kyle, just a second ago, the willingness to be engaged with others. Do people like and want to follow them? 
you know, who wants to work for someone you don't like or who's mean spirited or is only critical? So there's a big difference between someone who's liked and someone who's followed. But that followership comes from being engaging, caring about other individuals, knowing who's on the team and what matters to them, taking time to ask them about their aspirations and what do they want to do after they have spent two years in the call center. So I think it's the second characteristic is having that honest attention to the other people that we work with. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it's, um, I think it's just, it's a really interesting challenge. And in, you know, I, I reflect back on, you know, the way that we typically pick our high potential people. Right. And, and there's a lot of, you know, that even the term high potential is, is <laughs> a little bit charged at, at times, but, you know, I, I do think that it's really easy to just assume that, you know, potential and performance are the same thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're, they're really not. Um, and this, the skills, the skills that make someone successful in a leadership role are typically just very different, uh, than, than the, the skills for an individual contributor role. And so as, you know, as, as we're thinking about that in human resources, I think that's part of that, you know, as you think about your, developmental pipeline and your talent structures and your learning and development is what systems do you have to spot that and, and, and make sure that you don't fall into that pitfall of, you know, promoting, um, people beyond, uh, where, where they should be. And quite frankly, it, it just makes everybody miserable typically. <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. And it, and it drives turnover. Of course. Yeah. I, I think one of the challenges that HR folks have is we've spent so much time in the last five or 10 years on doing succession planning, on having the conversation, you know, regardless of the tools that you use. And so now we know who our quote unquote hypos are, and then we don't take a deliberate next step to say, how are we going to get them ready? Uh, we just assume that somebody in that highest potential block is ready to launch into a new and unusual experience, and they may or may not be. So I think the biggest thing that HR can do to close that gap is to say, okay, now our highest potentials, what are development assignments that we're going to give them? And how do we coach and mentor them through the process so that they're really successful and they're ready to lead our biggest challenges? That's a great call out hundred percent. And it's, you know, I mean, I love pretty pictures and you can make a really pretty org chart with all your high potentials and promotables and strong contributors or whatever label you want to put on your team. Um, but if, but if it's, if that's all it is, it's just a pretty PowerPoint slideshow, then, you know, you are doing your, your organization a disservice. You need, I mean, you, you have to kind of, force it most of the time to make sure that these individuals get into a program that actually helps cultivate the skills gaps that they have or gets them exposure um, to the things that they would not typically see throughout their day. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a great call out. I, I also, um, I think we're, we're, we're shifting into one of the other mistakes, which is uh, not developing your team. And that's really what we're, we're talking about here. So, um, so walk me through uh, the mistake of not developing your team. Why, you know, I think we all know we should, 
<laughs> I, think yeah. even, I think even people who aren't natural leaders probably know, okay, I probably should be developing my team. But if we all know that we should be doing this, <laughs> why is the mistake happening? Yeah, good point. Well, I think, first of all, it's really easy to send them off to training and think we did our job. Um, what we know from a learning perspective is that that is the least likely way that people are actually going to apply the skills on the job is to listen to a TED talk or go off to a two-day training session on how to do Excel or do some analysis. Um, but I, th- I think managers get overwhelmed at the thought of developing their team. And it's not that hard. It's getting them together and saying, Sharon, you're really good at culling through data. Can you give us three pointers on how you do it? Where do you start? What do you do in the middle? How do you uh, produce such great insight? And so it's building it into the day-to-day work of the team when the team gets together and sharing knowledge and then giving other people a chance to apply that knowledge. So, you know, we talked a few minutes ago, Kyle, about it's as a new manager, it's just so much easier for me to do it. I think from a development perspective, we run into that same problem. So now we talk about how to do something different, and then we have to give someone that opportunity to do it. And again, there might be some lack of performance. There might be some impact on productivity that we maybe don't think we have time to spare. Absolutely. I, I, that's, that's the most common complaint that I hear when I do, I do, you know, training or, or talk about, Hey, you know, we really should be doing this is, you know, I just don't have time. Mm-hmm. I just don't have time. And it's, it is so easy to fall into that trap. And I think, I think we, we do the same thing in HR, right? It's like, you know, yeah, I would love to, you know, spend time developing my employees, but I got to get payroll done. You know, and if I don't do this, people don't get paid, right? Well, that's pretty darn important. So, yeah, we mm-hmm. should probably. But if we don't take the time to develop others around us or ensure that development is happening, um, it never changes, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, it's it, it's actually, you know, my argument there is like, yes, I understand that you're busy and that and that you feel like you don't have any time. But what if so and so quits because they feel like you're not developing them enough? Well, how much time are you going to have now? Right. Right. <laughs> right? right. So, and, and by investing in employee development, you're actually, it's, you're investing in reduction in time in the future. Right. It, so it's actually the solution to the yeah. problem, but it, but you can't, but sometimes that's really hard to say when, you know, people are, are under, under fire. And I think the other challenge there is sometimes it's hard for people to, focus on their own personal development when they feel like they are too busy. So, so what, what do you see that works for a leader that actually focuses their time and energy on employee development? How do they structure that in a way that, that allows for, you know, a a positive experience all around? Right. So I think you build time into your regular meeting schedule. Uh, Kyle, you just pointed out that, you know, managers will say, I support development. You know, I, I approve most programs that people want to go to. Um, and then my employees cancel because they think they're too busy. And that's a very normal occurrence. And so how do you combat that? Well, most teams do meet at least an hour a week. 
They talk about what people are working on, what are the challenges. So carve out two things. First of all, carve out time for recognition. Start every meeting with recognition and then spend at least 10 or 15 minutes on learning. You know, it's not a big formal thing. Who wants to teach about how to do a macro in Excel? Next time we get together, can someone teach us all and we'll all open up our Excel and we'll do a macro. You know, so I think as managers, we think of learning like, oh my gosh, it's the three-day program I went to that the company sponsored last year. And that's really not what workplace learning at the front line is all about. I don't know how to do a macro, if I'm being perfectly honest. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I really want to learn. I don't know. You know, it's going to be position specific on that one. Um, but I do think, yeah, and that goes back to what we, we really talked about that, you know, a, a few minutes ago, which is, is, is creating that structure, right? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's as an HR professional, um, how do you ensure that your leaders understand, Hey, you know, development is important. Structure that into your one-on-ones. And then the manager says, what's a one-on-one? And then you can have that conversation. <laughs> but that is the reality of, of, of this type of work, you know, in, in the real world. It's, it's you know, it, if you don't facilitate the structure and ensure that people are held accountable to, to these things, then it, it, you're going to miss it. It's going to be missed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kyle, one of the uh, things that I cover the most often with leaders, uh, either in the leadership programs or in the book itself, is how to have a good one-on-one. And my format starts with, how are you doing, really? And then what did you accomplish since the last time we got together? And there's some questions in there about what did you learn? If we talk about development in the workplace, it's what did you learn by finishing that big project? Because I think sometimes we get so busy and run into tight deadlines and we got that one done and then it's on to the next one and we don't pause to say, so what new skill did you discover you had that you didn't realize you had? What are you doing differently because of that experience? That all is learning. And then, of course, in these one-on-ones, then you move into what are the challenges that you're facing. But we often dig into right away. So what are you working on? How's it going? Are you going to get it done in time? <laughs> you can't see me because this is an audio format. But right now I'm, I'm like rubbing my head with a, with a kind of a frown on my face because I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's how I start all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, Guilty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it is. It's I think that's a great. Uh, tactic, I, you know, it's it's interesting because it's like there, there's so much research out there that that kind of illustrates exactly what you just described. That most of that learning happens on the job. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is really you, you do learn by by doing um, that. Most people do um, most of the time. So, but if you don't reflect on it and kind of get credit for it, for what somebody's learning, like that simple question, it just seems it's just so powerful. So I, I love that. I love that approach. I'm, I'm stealing that, Janet. I'm going to use that for my one-on-one. And I, I guess I got to change my script a little bit. <laughs> Good. So it was time well spent, Kyle. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's a really powerful thing 
to ask somebody truly, you know, how are you? You know, mm-hmm. it, and I think, especially in this environment, when you might be doing a one-on-one virtually, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's different when you're sitting in a room with somebody and you can read their nonverbals. Mm-hmm. You can do a little bit of that on video now, but it's still, I mean, you're seeing half of a torso um, and, and maybe a blurred background, but you know, you, you're still missing a lot <laughs> of that context there. And if you don't have that relationship, mm-hmm. how do you really know how you can effectively lead that person? Mm-hmm. So have you seen, you know, as, as we've all gone through the, the ever changing world of, of work, you know, we, I think we're in kind of an environment where, you know, virtual work is certainly becoming the norm in some cases becoming the expectation. Um, how are you seeing these, these tactics and these approaches change in a virtual environment? In a virtual environment, you still have to keep up the good work. You still have to keep up the good management behaviors like having regular one-on-ones. Um, again, you know, when we were back all live, people would say, well, I talk to my employees every single day. I stop by their office and I ask them how they're doing on such and such a project. And now, of course, we have teams and we have uh, IM and we check in with them on a regular basis. But what we're not doing, maybe, is taking that 30 minutes to stop and say, so how are you really doing? What are you learning? What's getting in the way? And then, of course, we don't do that. And then the person leaves and we say, oh, my gosh, I had no idea they were so unhappy. Yeah. Because we never had the conversation. So I think in a virtual environment, the good management skills are still good management skills. You just have to make time to do them. You know, you have to schedule 30 minute check in meetings every other week is just fine. And then not cancel them, not cancel them no matter what. Schedule them first thing in the morning so they don't get canceled. <laughs> D- yeah, do not make that an optional meeting, or it, mm-hmm. it will it will it will do the opposite of what you want. It, it will, do, right? <laughs> it will, it will. Yep. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I, you know, you you have that exit interview, and you get that feedback. Well, they never prioritized me. Well, you know, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, they'd always cancel our one on ones. I mean, I've heard that so many times and you know, and, and that's like, oh yeah, well, it's almost like, you know, they expected it and then you got rid of it. It's almost better than not having anything on the calendar and then they and then they and then they don't have the expectation that you're gonna meet. <laughs> not that I'm advocating that you don't put it on the calendar. I'm just saying that it's 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 bad if you cancel it. <laughs> yes, it's really bad if you cancel it. <laughs> No, I, I think it's it's so interesting as we've transitioned to this, and it's so powerful to think about. Um, you know, that it's not just that leadership's gotten harder in a virtual setting, but it's it's also been harder to become an employee, and it, and mm-hmm. and especially if you're an employee that really craves feedback and really you know likes to be led and likes to have a connection with their leader and wants, wants that, like that real, uh, you know, relationship with their leader. Um, that can be really, really stressful if they feel like they don't know where they stand or they're not getting that feedback. Right. I mean, I talk about, I mean, that, that can drive turnover if, if, 
if you think like they enjoy not having you bug them, you might be completely on the wrong end of the, of the spectrum there. Um, because they'll fill in the blanks with whatever they want, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So it's mistake number four is not taking time to give feedback. And of course, feedback is both recognition and redirecting feedback to get someplace better. Um, I did my dissertation on the experience of college graduates during their first year of employment. And they universally said, I just don't get any feedback. Hmm. Uh, one woman said, my boss honestly said to me, if you don't hear anything from me, assume that everything's going fine. And so I said to these young adults, so why is that such a big deal? And they said, well, we're coming out of college where we got feedback all the time. You know, I take four or five classes. I turn in a paper. I get a grade. I do a presentation. I get a grade. This is ongoing over the course of three or four months. And then they come to the workplace and we say, if you don't hear from me, everything's fine. Hmm. It's just too hard of a shift. <laughs> uh, I, I'm laughing because it, it's so true. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I had that experience where. I came out of I came out of college and I mean it's been a while but yeah you're you're constantly graded and you constantly know where you stand so you know either I had an A plus day today or I had a B minus day today you know which one so but when you enter the workplace when you have a a leader um that just says you know the less you hear from me the better uh it's it's very destabilizing <laughs> very destabilizing yeah. And you know, it's part, it's part of the employment equation. Yeah, we pay our employees, but what we've learned from COVID is that meaning and connection to the mission of the organization matters a lot. And so if we don't hear from our managers about how we're doing, that that's part of the fairness of being an employee is, you know, you pay, pay me equitably you uh, help me learn and grow, and you tell me how I'm doing. Those are the basics of being an employee. And I think as managers, we owe it uh, to our employees to do that on a regular basis. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because, you know, nothing that we've talked about here is overly complicated. (laughs) You know, the, the, the theories are it's fairly simple. And as, and as we talk about it, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's common sense. Oh, I get that. Okay. They want, you know, they want to know where they stand. They want to feel connected to the organization. And I think every single person listening to this is, is saying, yeah, I get that. But that doesn't mean that that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. it, it takes so much focus and energy. And that for me, that's the hardest part of being a leader. And it's why some people hate being a leader because mm-hmm. some th- because this stuff is really hard um, to do effectively and do right. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's it, and it's not just you. I mean, I, I remember you know I early in my career I had a I, I I've had so many great influencers and mentors in my in my life. I'm blessed, uh, but I had an employee who was a long term employee. Uh, it would be what I would consider to be a natural leader. And, and we were looking for our next um, production supervisor in this case was the role frontline leader, huge team. 
and you know, I had the conversation with this individual and uh, about stepping into a leadership role. And they said, they, they looked at me and they said, I have no interest in taking on that stress. <laughs> I know what I do well. I know I'm really good at it. I know that I could probably do that job well, but I only want to be responsible for me. And I know that about myself. And I, you know, for me as a young HR professional who was, you know, kind of my motivations and goals were very different than this individual's motivations mm-hmm. and goals. But, you know, good for them for for kind of calling that out. Not everybody's that self-aware, right? Yes. And that's and that's where we have to, as leaders and HR professionals, kind of kind of think about that. And as I think about that, that's like as we define potential, mm-hmm. the, the aspiration has to be there as well. And so often we can just assume that somebody wants to be this leader and find out, you know, down the road, oh, they don't even want to do this. They just thought that they were in this training program because it was required. <laughs> and they, you know, it, I yeah. mean, it, it happens more than we'd like to admit. <laughs> it does happen more than we'd like to admit. And, you know, how do you find out about their aspirations? You ask them. I mean, it's, I bet it's amazing how often you go to succession planning, Kyle, and, you know, Steve Schmidt's name comes up and you say, and the boss says, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he'd be a good manager. You know, I'm not exactly sure what he wants to do next. And, you know, that's that's part of that equation that we've been talking about. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you, you know, again, none of this stuff is like rocket science. But at, at one point, I took over a new, a new team. And we... Um, one of the things that I always do, whether it's a new team or I'm in a new job or whatever, is I set up one-on-ones, just, just, I call them statuses. It's just mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, vernacular for my first employer. Um, and the framework is simply tell me about your goals and tell me about your abilities. And mm-hmm. like, that's it. That's the only thing we talk about for like 30 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour, depending upon, you know, how, how the conversation goes. And I, 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 so I took on this new team and I, and I was doing this process and I sat down and I asked the question about goals. What are your goals? What do you want? And she looked at me like I had asked her something in Mandarin (laughs) and, and she had no idea what I was talking about and, and got really, really confused. And I'm like, is everything okay? You know, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, did I ask, you know, did I say something wrong? And She's like, nobody's ever asked me that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, it's like, so, and, but it was to the point where they hadn't ever really given it a whole lot of thought in the context of our organization at the time. And so it's like, oh my gosh, what we, what a big opportunity missed to help this employee understand A, what career opportunities they even want and B, what those career opportunities look like within our organization. Right. And, and now we're at a point where um, now I'm like worried, Oh my gosh, I have a turnover risk here because this person's like, you know, just, just kind of going through, going through their career without having any idea of what that career progression might look like. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think again, going, we've we've talked about one-on-ones a lot and like some of these, these topics and feedback, but I mean, so, so important. So, um, point well taken, Janet. Great. So we are we are through uh, three mm-hmm. of the uh, of the seven mistakes. So 
Uh, we're going to give a little bit of it. We're going to leave a little bit of a teaser here for people that, you know, hey, go buy the book if you want to read the rest. But I do want to ask you, Janet, as you look at some of those other mistakes we haven't talked about, what is one that you really want to call out that you want people listening to this to walk away with uh, from this conversation? Well, I think getting ahead of change and your role in leading your team through change, whether the changes you've created yourself because you've created a new process or because the organization has told you you're working on, you know, four day shifts or you're moving to Timbuktu, um, that you as a manager have the responsibility to manage this change. And so in the book, there is some really great tools about how do you think about it? What are the messaging? Um, what, um, you know, how do you talk about, how do you get people on board and helping them to stay on board? <laughs> Thank you for saying that because I've been saying that for years and I don't know how many people listen, but I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times it's like, I mean, somebody's like, this is happening here, communicate this. Yep. <laughs> it gets dumped on my desk and I'm like, well, this is a crappy message. How am I supposed to send this? And, and a lot of times what it turns into is well, HR says, mm-hmm. right. Or CEO says, or CFO says. And so more often than not, you find a leader that finds comfort in having somebody to blame it on mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to own the change with their team. Yeah. And I mean, I've done a lot of employee opinion surveys in my career. I've, I've had a lot of employees in my office. I will tell you that the leaders that own the change communication are the ones with the best retention rates, yep. the, the most loyal employees. They score the best on those, those opinion surveys because, because they're, they're taking accountability for that change. So it really, really powerful uh, note to leave on. And I think it fits perfectly into exactly what we're trying to do here at this podcast. So yeah, um, with that being said, we are going to change direction and go into the Rebel HR flash round. So um, three quick questions. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel? I think HR needs to spend much more time and investment in their frontline leaders. You know, so often, at least in America, we invest heavily in our directors and vice presidents and C-level suite. And I do a lot of that work and I'm delighted to do that kind of work. But there are whole are bad habits that form early on. And so figuring out how to get some of this content in the hands of every single manager that you promote. I love that. And it's one of the things that, you know, we we didn't really hit on, but it's, you know, so often we, we miss that step mm. and we go spend a lot on <laughs> our CEO, C-suite, executive development plans, and a few select people that we anticipate will fill those roles at some point, mm-hmm. maybe. And we miss the people who impact everybody <laughs> in the organization, right? The people that are actually doing the the work day in and day out. And it's uh, there, uh, for me, there's such an opportunity cost in not investing in those folks. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you don't have a frontline leadership development program, um, as challenging as that can be, it will pay dividends. 
Yeah. It will. All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Well, I think we should listen to our, our business leaders, you know, constantly. How is it going? How is business? I'm amazed how many HR professionals don't ask their business leaders, how is business? Are, are you making money? Are you, are you losing money? Are your sales profitable? Are your, is turnover impacting how the business is performing? I think we get into this mundane of, well, did everybody sign the code of conduct? Mm. And like the code of conduct is really important, but is your business performing? Is what HR is on this planet to help with? (laughs) That code of conduct, you mean that like 75 page document that everybody just blindly signs so they can get out of orientation? You mean that? Absolutely. Yeah. Every single year. <laughs> so yeah, the code of conduct is important, but living the code of conduct is more important, right? Yeah. We, we, we've definitely got a theme going with this conversation because it, it's all about like these, like these intentional actions, mm-hmm. like the one-on-ones yeah. and the, and those, but I mean, it, what you said there, it just rings so true. And it just re- reminds me of, um, again, earlier in my career when I, I was, I was struggling to build trust. I was struggling to understand the business. I, I, you know, I, I had inroads that needed to be made. And the simplest thing that I did, and probably the most powerful thing I did, is I just went and sat in a production meeting. Ah, uh, yeah. At least twice a week. Yep. And it was always, you know, it was it was just on the schedule. And I would sit there and I didn't understand 75% of the content of that meeting at the beginning. But I can tell you that after a few weeks, I started to understand the language that we were speaking, the problems that they were facing the problems that they were dealing with as it related to employees mm-hmm. and it worked right. Like it was a really simple action, but, and it wasn't me making them come to me. It was me going to them. Yes. Right. And, and it was such a, it was a symbolic gesture, but it also, at the end of the day, it helped me be better. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> right? so, and who doesn't yeah. want that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you, and if you don't know, like, if you don't know, like the sales numbers and the profit numbers and, you know, some of those like basic business statistics, like Mm -hmm. I understand not all of us are math people, but you gotta, you gotta learn that stuff. That is what, Mm -hmm. that is what drives the business. And, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're a for-profit or not for profit, you need to understand your organizational health um, and, and really understand what you're doing and, and what goal you're, you're, you're marching towards. All right. Um, last question. We're going from flash round into like, you know, back into the conversation. So I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're violating the flash round a little bit. <laughs> it's, all right. it's all right. All right. We got, I think this one's a, this one's a, an easy one for you. How can our listeners connect with you, Janet? Oh, thank you, Kyle. This has been really enjoyable. Uh, you can find the book at www.inthelead.co slash books in the lead dot co slash books or you can send me an email at janet at in the lead dot co absolutely and we will have all that information in our show notes uh check it out you know there's just some really great content here uh, we only got through four of the seven mistakes mm-hmm. so there's still three left so you know i'll, I'll leave that open to your uh, your discovery there uh, janet it's just been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for for spending some time with us today and uh, can't wait to, uh, to dig into this book. Thank you, Kyle. It's been, a, it's been great. Thanks. 
All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.